This is episode 516 of the AWS podcast, released on April 17, 2022. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Sam Lesh here with you. Great to have you back with a jam-packed update show. Lots of cool new announcements, big and small. Let's start with the AWS Marketplace. You can now have managed entitlements for the tracking of AWS Marketplace licenses. So now you can understand uh, and meter the license usage across AMI and metered SaaS solutions. So this makes it really easy for you to understand your license usage via the AWS License Manager console and via CloudWatch Metrics and you can track them across accounts in your organization as well. So it's not just in one account. This makes it really easy to track those licenses. And let's face it, who likes tracking licenses? Moving on to the topic of analytics, Amazon Redshift has announced a native integration with Amazon Azure Active Directory and Microsoft Power BI. So now you can use it for authentication and analytics, etc. You can now, as an Amazon Redshift admin, register your Azure AD as an identity provider with Amazon Redshift using a SQL command. You can create database roles with the same names as your groups in your IDP and grant privileges to the appropriate database roles. What this all means is that you can integrate everything nice and tightly and you can use the native authentication with Microsoft Power BI and other tools using JDBC and ODBC drivers. Amazon Redshift now also supports role-based access control. This is a new enhancement that helps you simplify the management of security privileges in Amazon Redshift. And you can use it to control end-user access to data at a broad or granular level based on their role or job permission rights and the level of data sensitivity. So this makes life a lot easier. Amazon Athena has added support for querying Amazon Ion data. If you've not come across Amazon Ion, it's a richly typed self-describing format used and open source by Amazon. And uh, it provides an interchangeable binary and text formats, which combine the ease of use of text with the efficiency of binary encoding. The Ion format is currently used by internal Amazon Teams and by AWS services like Amazon Quantum Ledger Database and the open source SQL query language Particle. We're happy to announce the general availability of Amazon Athena Acid Transactions powered by Apache Iceberg. So this is a new capability that adds insert, update, delete, and time travel operations to Athena's SQL Data Manipulation Language, or DML, and it enables multiple concurrent users to make reliable row-level modifications to their Amazon S3 data from Athena's console API and ODBC and JDBC drivers. Now, this is built on the Apache Iceberg table format. Athena Acid transactions are optimized for Amazon S3 storage and support seamless schema evolution and ensure atomic operations across other services and engines that support the Iceberg table format, such as Amazon EMR, Apache Spark, and Apache Flink. AWS Glue Data Brew now supports the ORC file format as an input. This is the optimized row column file format, really commonly used for storing Hive data. So now you can use this format in addition to Apache Avro, Apache Parquet, Microsoft Excel, CSV, and JSON file formats. AWS Glue 2.0 now supports fuzzy matching and deduplication using AWS Glue Find Matches. Now, this automates the process of identifying partially matching records for use cases, including linking customer records, deduplicating product catalogs, and fraud detection. Using Glue 2.0, ETL jobs that perform fuzzy matching using find matches start in under a minute and have one minute minimum billing. 
a whole bunch of updates for the Amazon OpenSearch service. It now supports OpenSearch version 1.2, and this version includes a new observability interface in OpenSearch dashboards, improvements to several other features, such as anomaly detection, K-NN, and SQL PPL. Amazon OpenSearch service lets you run and scale OpenSearch and open source Elasticsearch up to version 7.10 clusters with ease. OpenSearch is a community-driven open source search and analytics suite originally derived from Apache 2.0 licensed Elasticsearch 7.10.2 and Kibana 7.10.2. You get a search engine, OpenSearch, and visualization capabilities powered by OpenSearch dashboards. Some other updates. Amazon OpenSearch service now supports using custom dictionaries with IK Analysis plugin. So you can use your preferred keywords and synonyms with the IK Analyzer to tailor search results to suit your business needs. And there is now, as I mentioned, a new observability interface and far more expanded log analytics. This is the trace analytics, which was recently introduced into Amazon OpenSearch service, and it allows you to find and fix performance problems in distributed applications. This allows you to analyze your trace data alongside your log data, which means you can isolate the source of performance problems and diagnose root cause. And you can correlate it a lot more easily. Another update for Amazon OpenSearch is cross-cluster replication is now supported on existing OpenSearch service domains. So now uh, you don't have to uh, create a new domain to enable this capability. You can get it straight away. Cross-cluster connections help you set up secure connections between your domains, and you can replicate indexes at low latency from one domain to another without needing any additional technologies. You can also monitor the replication status via APIs, and if you have indexes that follow an index pattern, you can create rules to automatically replicate them. And speaking of cross-cluster, cross-cluster search is now also supported on existing Amazon open search domains. So what this means is you can now do searches and aggregations across multiple domains with a single query or from a single open search dashboard interface. So you can create separate heterogeneous workloads into multiple domains, which gives you better resource isolation, but you can tune them individually, but you can still search across them. Amazon EMR Managed Scaling is now Spark Shuffle Data Aware. So this allows it to prevent scaling down instances that store intermediate shuffle data for Apache Spark. So intelligently scaling down clusters without removing the instances that store intermediate shuffle data prevents job reattempts and recomputations, which leads to better performance and lower cost. Now, this means you can take advantage of our old friend Amazon EC2 spot instances, which typically gets you up to a 90% discount from the on-demand price. So this is definitely something you should look at if you're running these types of workloads. And Amazon QuickSight has launched Groups Management UI. With this change, administrators can efficiently and easily administer and govern user groups via the QuickSight admin console. You can create and manage groups and manage user membership within groups. And this is available to administrators with access to the QuickSight admin console pages via IAM credentials. Moving on to the topic of application integration, Amazon EventBridge has introduced global endpoints for automatic failover and recovery. This is a simpler and more reliable way for customers to improve the availability of their event-driven applications on AWS. Global Endpoint is a new feature that makes it easier for customers to build robust and reliable applications by automatically failing over their event ingestion to a secondary region during service disruptions without the need for manual intervention. Customers can use replication to minimize the data at risk during these service disruptions. With global endpoints, customers now have the flexibility to manage failures and configure failover criteria using CloudWatch alarms via our old friend, the Route 53 Health Checks, to determine when to failover 
and route events back to the primary region. Once customers publish events to the global endpoint, the events are routed to the event bus in the primary region. If errors are detected in the primary region, a customer's health check is marked as unhealthy and EventBridge routes incoming requests to the secondary region. These global endpoints are available at no additional charge. Today, global endpoints are available for custom events only and custom events published to the global endpoint are billed as per the custom events pricing. Customers are charged additionally for replication as per existing cross-region pricing. More information on the pricing page. Amazon EventBridge Schema Registry has extended support to the Go language, so it now supports the Go language for generating code bindings for event schemas, which makes it easier to use your schema as objects in your code. So you can generate these code bindings from a schema using the EventBridge Console API or the SDK toolkits for JetBrains, IntelliJ, PyCharm, WebStorm, Rider, VS Code, whole bunch. Previously, we've supported Java, Python, and TypeScript. Now you can have Go as well. And AWS AppSync has added support for enhanced filtering in real-time GraphQL subscriptions. You can easily and effortlessly configure any supported data source to push and publish real-time data updates to subscribed clients with connection management, scalability, fan out, and broadcasting all handled by AppSync, which means you can focus on your application business use case and requirements instead of trying to get real-time WebSocket connections to work at scale. And AWS AppSync now supports enhanced subscriptions filtering, which means you have the ability to invalidate subscriptions and perform advanced filtering on the server side instead of the client, which simplifies application development and reduces data sent to clients with improved authorization logic over data. Moving on to the topic of compute, and my goodness, are there some updates to talk about here. Firstly, AWS Lambda function URLs are available. These are built-in HTTPS endpoints for your Lambda function. This is a new feature making it easier to invoke your functions through a HTTPS endpoint as a built-in capability of the AWS Lambda service. You can add function URLs to new and existing functions in a single click from the console or a couple of lines of CloudFormation or the AWS serverless application model. Function URLs are ideal for getting started with building web services on Lambda or for common tasks like building webhooks. So there's some specifics about when you want to use this and not use this. Each function URL points to a single Lambda function or function alias and is secured by IAM by default. You can optionally configure function URLs for public access to allow unauthenticated invokes or use custom authorization logic that you built within your functions handler. The functions resource policy is always in effect and it must be updated to allow public access if you choose not to use IAM to authenticate and authorize principles calling your function URL. You can, of course, review these findings using the IAM Access Analyzer to identify those that have public access. But this is a really cool way to get up and running quickly, especially if you don't need all the extra functionality you get from API Gateway. And there is no additional cost for using this feature. It's just included in the regular cost of invoking Lambda functions. And if you've ever been writing a Lambda function and you needed a bit more ephemeral storage, and I've had that situation happen to myself and it was very annoying, well, now you can have up to 10 gig of ephemeral storage. This is a 20 times increase on the previous limit of 512 meg. So this is really useful for workloads like financial analysis, machine learning, media processing, data intensive operations, even our old friend text files. So you can now get up to 10 gig of storage locally, which is very cool. And the AWS Lambda console now supports bulk updates of layers. So you can now select all or a subset of the functions that use a Lambda layer to update them simultaneously to a new layer version in the Lambda console. So this is really useful for updating much more quickly and simply. 
Let's talk service. Amazon EC2 now supports a new and improved launch experience on the EC2 console, a quicker and easier way to get up and running. It's a new design that gives you a single page layout, which means you can view all your settings in one location. No more navigating back and forth between the steps to make sure you're correct. It also introduces a summary panel and provides an overview and helps navigate the page. This is fantastic and makes life a lot easier. I was not a big fan of the forward and backwards. and Now you don't have to do it anymore. And Amazon EC2 now reduces visibility of public Amazon machine images older than two years. So two years after their creation date, they will by default be deprecated. And once an AMI is deprecated, it doesn't show up in your Describe Images API call. Now, deprecating an AMI only reduces the visibility of the AMI in untargeted searches, but it is available to you if you created it. Users of a deprecated AMI can continue to launch instances and describe the deprecated AMI using its ID. And the Amazon EC2 team have introduced two new bare metal instance types, the EC2 M6A and C6A bare metal instances. These are powered by third generation AMD EPIC, codenamed Milan processors, with an all-core turbo frequency of 3.6 gigahertz. The M6A delivers up to 35% better price performance with the M5A, while C6A delivers up to 15% better price performance compared to the C5A and offer a 10% lower cost than comparable x86 instances. These are both built on the AWS Nitro system, which is some fantastic dedicated hardware and a lightweight hypervisor, which gives you practically all of the compute and memory resources of the host hardware to your instances. M6A instances are SAP certified, and they're a good fit for things like web and application servers, backend servers supporting enterprise applications, microservices, lots of stuff. C6A instances are well-suited for compute-intensive applications like batch processing, distributed analytics, high-performance compute, ad serving, gaming, etc., etc. Amazon EC2 now performs automatic recovery of instances by default. This is a new feature that makes it even easier for you to recover your instance when it becomes unreachable. Automatic recovery improves instance availability by recovering the instance if it becomes impaired due to an underlying hardware issue. And what this does is migrates the instance to another piece of hardware during an instance reboot while retaining the instance ID, private IP address, elastic IP address, and all instance metadata. Now, of course, you can disable this if you choose. And Amazon EC2 Autoscaling Instance Lifecycle States are now available via the Instance Metadata Service, or the IMDS. So now you can easily initiate on-instance actions when an instance transition from one lifecycle state to another takes place. So this is a great way to get an understanding of what's happening in the environment. And if you need any local actions to take place, away you go. The AWS Compute Optimizer now supports 66 new EC2 instance types. These include the latest generation general purpose instance families from both Intel and AMD, compute optimized, memory optimized, storage optimized family, etc. And these additions to Compute Optimizer allow customers to ensure they're always sized to an optimal EC2 instance type by delivering recommendations that ensure high performance at the lowest cost. You should be running this. You should be checking your instances to make sure you're running the right size for the workload and getting the optimum price performance benefit. Amazon EKS, EKS Distro, and Amazon EKS Anywhere now support Kubernetes version 1.22. This release includes external credential providers, server-side apply, and bound service account token volumes graduating to stable, and warning mechanisms for deprecated API usage. So if you want to keep up to date, this is the latest supported version. And we're also happy to announce the AWS controllers for Kubernetes for Amazon MemoryDB in preview. 
The AWS Controllers for Kubernetes, ACK, for Amazon MemoryDB enables you to define and use MemoryDB resources directly from your Kubernetes cluster. This lets you take advantage of MemoryDB to support your Kubernetes applications without needing to define MemoryDB resources outside of the cluster or run and manage in-memory database capabilities in your cluster. Now, Amazon MemoryDB for Redis is a Redis-compatible durable in-memory database platform that is built for modern applications with microservices architecture. And the AWS Controllers for Kubernetes is a collection of Kubernetes custom resource definitions and custom controllers working together to extend the Kubernetes API and manage AWS resources on your behalf. EKS add-on support for EBS CSI driver is now generally available. This allows you to uh, install and manage the Elastic Block Store Container Storage Interface Driver, and this simplifies the experience of attaching persistent storage to an EC2 cluster. The EBS CSI driver provides a CSI interface by using container orchestrations to manage the life cycle of Amazon EBS volumes. And since announcing the preview, EKS add-on support now includes Windows compatibility, dynamic snapshotting and resizing of EBS volumes via the Kubernetes API, and backwards compatibility with in-tree EBS driver. Moving on to Amazon ECS, the Elastic Container Service. Exec now adds support for executing commands in a Windows container running on AWS Fargate. Now, ECS Exec gives you interactive shell or single command access to a running container, which makes it easier to debug, diagnose, or collect dumps or statistics, etc. Now you can run it on Windows. And Amazon ECS has also announced an increased service quota for the container instances per cluster. You can now launch up to 5,000 instances per cluster, which is an increase from 2,000. So this means you can scale further and improve your manageability. You automatically get the increased limit uh, and away you go. And if you've already asked for more than that, you maintain that limit. And Amazon ECS now supports warm pools for Amazon EC2 auto scaling. So this allows you to scale out faster and save costs in terms of using Amazon EC2 auto-scaling because the warm pools allow you to create a pool of pre-initialized Amazon EC2 instances that are ready to quickly serve application traffic. These are really good if you have time-consuming initialization steps like preloading gigabytes of data or huge container images or provisioning services or custom scripts. Anything like that really suits this. Moving on to the topic of cost management. AWS cost categories now support resource and tag-based access control. So this allows you to have easy management and access to your cost categories. You can define IAM policies to specify fine-grained permissions for your AWS cost categories based on resource names and tags, which means it's easy to have governance and information security through these control features. And AWS Cost Anomaly Detection now supports resource and tag-based access management. Similar sort of thing. Fine-grained access control. Not everyone needs to see everything. When it comes to your cost management, now you can control it. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement. Amazon Connect has launched an updated UI for users, routing profiles, and queues with AWS CloudTrail support. This enables you to look in AWS CloudTrail to identify who took which action what resources were acted upon and when the event occurs and other stuff that can help you identify what you need to do. Amazon Connect has also launched dynamic voice prompt playback from Amazon S3. So you can now play recorded voice prompts directly from your Amazon S3 bucket, which means you can easily create personalized customer experiences in your automated voice systems. Now, voice prompts are audio files played during customer interactions, such as playing a welcome greeting, requesting information from your customers, or guiding a customer through their desired transaction. 
You can now store, organize, and manage as many recorded voice prompts as needed in Amazon S3 and easily access them in real time via contact attributes in your Amazon Connect contact flow. And AWS has released version 2.0 of the Amazon Pinpoint API for expanded support of SMS and voice channels. Customers now have the flexibility to manage their SMS and voice setup using an API. And this release includes a new SDK for sending SMS and voice messages called Amazon Pinpoint SMS Voice V2 SDK. And it specifically brings new valuable management capabilities that include keywords, phone number management, pools, and opt-out lists. Customers can also view account attributes and manage spending limits using the account status APIs. Amazon Connect Wisdom now supports the Zendesk connector. So this now joins the existing Salesforce and ServiceNow connectors for supporting knowledge content. You can now synchronize knowledge articles from Zendesk, which means your contact center agents will get ML-powered real-time recommendations for content that could help them resolve a customer issue quickly. Amazon Pinpoint now supports template tagging and search in the console. So this allows you to get far more easy access to the information you have and a customer can add up to 50 tags to each template by simply editing the template itself. This allows you to search and find things very quickly. Now, Amazon Pinpoint is an omni-channel marketing and communication service that helps customers engage their users by sending messages through targeted messaging campaigns across email, SMS, push notification, in-app and social media channels. And Contact Lens for Amazon Connect now offers real-time streaming for higher scale and lower latency scenarios. So this eliminates the need to constantly make requests from the existing Contact Lens API with rate limitations. The real-time streaming offers additional data segments that consist of sentence-by-sentence transcripts for low latency requirements. So this makes it much easier to get that real-time view of what's going on as you speak with your customer. Let's move on to the topic of database, and there are lots of cool updates here. The Amazon RDS free tier now includes the DBT3 Micro, AWS Graviton 2-based DBT4G Micro instances in all commercial regions. These are really useful for dev test and just fiddling around with stuff. Amazon RDS now supports IPv6 on RDS service APIs. So we all know we have to move to IPv6 and it's happening gradually as we go. And now all of the service APIs are IPv6 compatible. Amazon RDS supports itemized billing for RDS storage, IOPS and backup features. So this now gives you a more granular and detailed view to understand where that particular bill or how that bill is made up of, I should say. And you can better quantify your spend per different RDS database types and also whether the spend is happening from an IOPS configuration or particular backup features, etc. Amazon RDS Proxy now supports Amazon RDS for PostgreSQL and Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL Compatible Edition version 13. Now, this is many new features for version 13, but if you've not come across Amazon RDS Proxy, it's a fully managed and highly available database proxy for Amazon RDS and Aurora databases, and it gives you better application scalability, resiliency, and security without having to manage that proxy. Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports M6i and R6i instances. These are the sixth generation of the EC2 x86-based general purpose compute workloads. And the R6i instances are the sixth generation of the EC2 memory-optimized instances for memory-intensive workloads. So this gives you an option to get better price performance again. Um, you get lots of different benefits depending on the particular workload. Some of them have 33% more memory than the previous generation. You can also get up to 20% high memory bandwidth, etc. Definitely worth a test. 
And Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports the January 2022 patch set updates for 12.1 and release updates for 12.2 and 19c. Make sure you patch your stuff. And Amazon RDS for Oracle makes it easy to do this and to automate it. So I highly recommend you do that, of course, in a multi-AZ configuration. And Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports SQL Server agent job replication. With this new feature, SQL Server agent jobs created, modified, or deleted in the primary instance will be automatically synchronized to the secondary instance in a multi-AZ configuration. Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility, Performance Insights is now in preview. This is a performance tuning and monitoring feature that helps you quickly assess the load on your database and determine where and when to take action. Now, you may have used this before with some of the other RDS uh, capabilities and databases. This is now available in a preview for the Amazon DocumentDB service. So check it out. An update for Amazon Aurora. It now supports Postgres SQL 13.6, 12.10, 11.15, and 10.20, and it also supports a Babelfish for Aurora PostgreSQL 1.2.0. So lots of new features and capabilities there. And Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL supports foreign data wrapper for Microsoft SQL Server and Sybase database. Now, you, what you can do is you can connect to databases, use the tabular data stream or TDS protocol, and you can use this foreign data wrapper to connect to data sources in other databases, which means you don't need to replicate or copy the data. Moving on to the topic of developer tools, Amazon Corretto 18 is now generally available. This version supports the latest Java release of OpenJDK 18 and is available on Linux, Windows, and Mac OS, and you can get it at no cost. It is a no-cost, multi-platform, production-ready distribution of OpenJDK. It's distributed by Amazon under an open source license, so you can get all the benefits of the new features and have it low cost, as in free. And AWS Proton support for Terraform open source is now generally available. And this is support for defining infrastructure in the HashiCorp configuration language or HCL and provisioning infrastructure using Terraform open source. This is available in all regions where Proton is available. Moving on to the topic of end user computing, Amazon Workspaces has launched APIs to allow custom branding. So now you can customize your Amazon Workspace experience with your logo, login message, and help links on the Workspace's client login page. Using your own brand gives you a familiar look and feel when your users access your Workspaces, and adding your own help links makes it easy for users to access support resources within your configuration. And Amazon Chime SDK now supports sessions with up to 10,000 live participants. So presenters can now deliver real-time media to 10,000 participants, and participants can be brought on stage with their existing WebRTC connection, allowing them to contribute to the live conversation without missing a moment of content. Moving on to the topic of front-end web and mobile. We're happy to announce the general availability of Amplify Geo for iOS. Now, this follows the release of Amplify Geo for JavaScript. Amplify Geo for iOS allows developers to add cloud-connected UI components for maps and location search to iOS apps. And in addition to AWS, Amplify's features like auth, data store, and storage. Amplify Geo gives you a set of client libraries built on top of Amazon Location Service APIs and includes cloud-connected map UI components that are based on the popular MapLibre open source library. And related to that particular launch, Amplify Geo has launched React components for maps powered by the Amazon Location Service. So if you build apps with React, this will be interesting to you because now you can add the Map React components from Amplify UI, which was released last year, and include it in your project to display a fully functional map component. 
And you can also make use of additional map features from the underlying React MapGL library to further customize your user experience. AWS Amplify Studio announces new file storage and file management capabilities, making it easier to store and serve user-generated content, things like photos and videos from web or mobile apps. With Amplify Studio, you can easily create an Amazon S3 bucket, configure file level access levels, integrate storage client libraries into your web or mobile app, and manage files in the Studio's drag-and-drop file explorer. And AWS Amplify Hosting now uses a GitHub app to authorize access to repositories for CI/CD workflows. The Amplify GitHub app offers the same features as the existing OAuth app and additionally gives you complete control over scoping permissions to specific repositories in your account or organizations. All new Amplify projects linked to GitHub repositories will now require using a GitHub app. Your existing projects linked to Amplify via the GitHub OAuth app will continue to be supported, but you can choose to migrate to the new GitHub app, which will further restrict permissions to your GitHub account, which is a good thing. And finally on this topic, AWS Amplify announces the new at Maps 2 directive to iterate on GraphQL APIs without manual data migrations. The AWS Amplify CLI is a command line tool chain that helps front-end developers create app backends in the cloud. And with Amplify's GraphQL transformer, developers can configure the backend data model using GraphQL schema definition language, and Amplify CLI automatically transforms the schema into a fully functional GraphQL API with its underlying database tables. Now, before today, you had to manually export and migrate data when making changes to the GraphQL model names. Now you can use the at maps2 directive to rename the client-facing GraphQL model and retain the underlying DynamoDB table. Amplify CLI under the hood will remap the new GraphQL model name to the original underlying DynamoDB tables. Moving on to the topic of game tech, AWS GameKit for Unreal Game Engine is now generally available. This is a new solution that allows game developers to deploy and customize game backend features directly from Unreal Engine. AWS GameKit comes with AWS CloudFormation templates for each feature that follows AWS Solution Architect designs. AWS GameKit also comes with an integration code between the game backend features and Unreal Engine. And AWS GameKit is for game developers looking to build AWS-powered game features directly from Unreal Engine with just a few clicks. With this release, developers have access to four game backend features, identity and authentication, achievements, game state, cloud saving, and user gameplay data. Lots of other cool stuff in there if you are in the gaming zone. Check it out. Also, something else that's in preview, Amazon GameSparks. This is a managed AWS service that provides game developers with features for building, running, and scaling the backend of their games without having to manage servers or low-level cloud primitives. Amazon GameSparks makes building a game backend easier for game developers who have little to no cloud experience since it comes with out-of-the-box backend features that require minimal setup and is pre-integrated with the Unity game engine. Moving on to the topic of Internet of Things, AWS IT Device Management and AWS IT Device Defender now support monitoring device metrics via the List Metric Values API. So this means you get far more insight into what's going on from a historical device side, cloud side and custom metrics view from your connected devices that belong to a security profile. Moving on to machine learning. Now you can launch RStudio on Amazon SageMaker using AWS CloudFormation. So now you can build up a, a familiar environment with just a single click to get up and running. 
and you could use CloudFormation code templates to model the infrastructure setup for RStudio on SageMaker, configure its access for data scientists and developers in your organization. And this way, you can automate the provisioning of all these tools and allowing you to apply the latest of DevOps best practices to make sure you're building things the right way every time. Amazon SageMaker Data Wrangler now supports Databricks as a data source. So what this means is you can now quickly and easily connect to Databricks, interactively query data stored in Databricks using SQL, and preview data before importing. Additionally, you can join your data in Databricks with data stored in Amazon S3 and data queried through Amazon Athena, Redshift, and of course, Snowflake to create the right data set for your ML use case. Amazon Textract announces updates to its tables and checkbox detection features. And one of the great things about these types of services is we continuously improve the underlying machine learning models based on customer feedback to get you even better accuracy. And so these are some new updates to both tables and checkbox detection features. The latest tables and models support detecting merged cells and identifying column headers. And specifically, you can now detect merged cells on a document processed using the Analyze Document Tables feature through the type merge cell and also identify cells that make up the column header through the entity type identifier. In addition, we're pleased to announce quality enhancements to our tables feature. Starting today, Textract will more accurately detect outer table boundaries, row and column boundaries and table content. And customers can now expect high accuracy with lower post-processing on extracting tables within a wide variety of document formats, including those found in lending, insurance, financial services, legal, healthcare, energy, and the public sector. And finally, we've improved the checkbox detection capabilities within the forms model. So now you can more accurately detect handwritten selected, not selected information in checkboxes within form fields. Amazon Comprehend now supports documents in image formats in addition to text, PDFs, and Word. Customers can now use Comprehend custom entity recognition to extract entities from image files, things like JPEG, PNG, and TIFF, and can also use Comprehend directly on Amazon Textract JSON outputs to extract custom entities from these documents. So this simplifies your intelligent document processing workflow, and it means you just get out-of-the-box integration. Amazon Polly now offers neural TTS voices in Catalan and Mexican Spanish. So these are two voices, the neural version of Mia, which is Polly's Mexican Spanish female text-to-speech voice, and Arlet, which is a new Catalan neural voice. Now, these make for a far more natural sounding experience when you're going text-to-speech, and it really is super easy to use. Amazon Kendra is an intelligent search service powered by machine learning, and it's pretty cool because I use it myself. And starting today, AWS customers can use the Amazon Kendra Slack connector to index and search messages from Slack. So now you can be bringing all those information sources together with one intelligent search. We're happy to introduce a new grammar slot type on Amazon Lex. Now, Amazon Lex is a service for building conversational interfaces for any application using voice and text. Now, we introduce the grammar slot type. You can now author your own grammar in the XML format per the speech recognition grammar specification, SRGS, to collect information in the conversation. And you can also provide semantic interpretation rules using ECMAScript tags. Amazon Transcribe Call Analytics has now announced support for call summarization, a machine learning capability that helps improve the productivity of contact center agents and managers so they can focus on providing excellent customer experiences. Using the Transcribe Call Analytics APIs, developers and independent software vendors can analyze audio recordings and add call analytics to their applications without needing any ML expertise. 
With call summarization, Transcribe Call Analytics identifies key parts of the customer conversation, assigns a label, things like issue, outcome, or action item, and provides these call summary components in an output file in an S3 bucket. Other Transcribe Call Analytics APIs, such as turn-by-turns, transcript, customer and agent sentiment, detected issue, and match call categories are also available in the same file. And two updates for AWS Panorama. Now, AWS Panorama is a machine learning appliance and software development kit that brings computer vision to on-premises internet protocol cameras. And with AWS Panorama, companies can use compute power at the edge without streaming video to the cloud to improve their operations by automating things like visual inspection tasks, manufacturing, etc. You can now run models and algorithms from TensorFlow, PyTorch, and OpenCV directly on the AWS Panorama Appliance GPU for low latency use cases. AWS Panorama also supports models optimized with the NVIDIA Tensor RT or any machine learning library with NVIDIA CUDA support. And AWS Panorama applications now support receiving inbound messages over the local area network. You can use this to start, stop, and adjust your AWS Panorama application. For example, you can run an ML model to visually detect paint defects when a vehicle crosses a gate on the production line. You can also use inbound messages to serve a web application accessible from another computer on the same network for the human in the loop review. Using human in the loop review, line operators can review anomaly detections from the ML model to ensure accuracy and flag low accuracy results for model retraining. Moving on to the topic of management and governance, we're happy to introduce Amazon CloudWatch Metrics Insights into general availability. As a fast, flexible SQL-based query engine, Metrics Insights enables developers, operators, systems engineers, and cloud solutions architects to identify trends and patterns across millions of operational metrics in real time and helps use these insights to reduce time to resolution. And that's what's important, fixing the problem. With Metrics Insights, you can get better visibility into your infrastructure and large-scale application performance with flexible querying and on-the-fly metric aggregations. Use Metric Insights and other CloudWatch features to monitor your environment, and you can respond very quickly to operational problems. This is a very cool capability, definitely worth diving into it. AWS OpsWorks for configuration management now supports the current Puppet Enterprise LTS version 2019.8.10, and you can benefit from receiving the update automatically during the weekly systems maintenance window. AWS has announced integration between AWS App Config feature flags and Atlassian's Jira Cloud. This integration allows feature flags from AWS App Config to be tracked in Atlassian's Jira as individual issues, making it easier for you to track the release of new capabilities of your software. This integration is being announced at the Atlassian Team 22 conference in Las Vegas. The sustainability pillar is now available in the AWS Well Architected tool. The practice of sustainability involves understanding the impacts of services used, quantifying impacts through the entire workload lifecycle, and applying design principles and best practices to reduce those impacts. Review your cloud architecture using the sustainability pillar in the well-architected tool to learn and measure energy consumption and the environmental impacts of your cloud workloads. After you've completed a review, the tool provides an improvement plan with direct actions to reduce resource usage and increase efficiency. And you should do this on a periodic basis to make informed decisions balancing security, cost, performance, reliability, and operational excellence with the sustainability outcomes of your cloud workloads. Amazon CloudWatch has added an option for easy monitoring setup. The new one-click option on the CloudWatch Getting Started page gives you a convenient means to launch CloudWatch Application Insights. Once launched, Application Insights will discover the underlying resources in your account or resource group and set up the recommended metrics, logs, and alarms to monitor their health. 
which is pretty cool. Now, often we talk about creating accounts, but sometimes you need to delete accounts. AWS Organizations now provides central AWS account closure to enable easier end-to-end account lifecycle management. So this feature makes it easier and more efficient for you to manage your Amazon Web Services workloads by enabling you to close member accounts from your organization management account without needing to log into each member account individually. You can also use IAM permissions to authorize IAM roles or users in your management account to securely perform account closures while protecting your mission-critical accounts in your infrastructure. And AWS Service Catalog has announced a new console feature to directly access resources within a provisioned product. Previously, you had to manually navigate through the AWS console to find a specific resource. With this feature, you can now easily locate and access the resource of a provisioned product right in the provisioned product detail page. Moving on to the topic of networking and content delivery, AWS Shield Advanced now supports application load balancer for automatic application layer DDoS mitigation. Now, this is in addition to CloudFront distributions, which are also protected by AWS Shield Advanced. When you protect your resources using AWS Shield Advanced and enable automatic application layer DDoS mitigation, patterns associated with layer 7 DDoS events will be identified and isolated by automatically created AWS WAF rules in your web access control lists. These rules can be implemented in count mode to observe how they would impact resource traffic and deployed in block mode at any time. You can view detection, mitigation, and top contributor metrics associated with application layer DDoS events for further investigation or to assess the effect of any mitigations Shield Advance creates. These capabilities enable you to quickly respond and mitigate DDoS events that threaten the availability of your applications. Having used this myself, I highly recommend you turn this on for anything publicly facing. One of the favorite topics I like to talk about are price reductions, and AWS has announced data transfer price reduction for AWS Private Link, AWS Transit Gateway, and AWS Client VPN services. This starts April 1st, 2022, and the inter-availability zone data transfer within the same AWS region for those particular services is free of charge. Previously, there was a charge. There is now no longer a charge. More details on the price reduction, but these will apply to all AWS commercial and AWS cloud gov regions. Amazon Route 53 now offers usage-based pricing for resource records above the free tier limit. So now you can add resource records to Amazon Route 53 hosted zones beyond the free tier limit using pay-as-you-go pricing. Previously, you could add a maximum of 10,000 resource records to any hosted zone for free. But if you went more, you had to go and talk to support. Now you don't have to. You can just switch to pay-as-you-go for those additional ones beyond the free tier. And Amazon CloudFront now supports server timing headers. So now this allows you to monitor CloudFront behavior and performance. Server timing headers provide detailed performance information, such as whether content was served from cache when a request was received, how the request was routed to the CloudFront edge location, and how much time elapsed during each stage of the connection and response process. It's pretty cool. Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance. AWS Security Hub has launched five controls and a new integration partner. There are five new foundational security best practice controls, and there is a new integration partner called Data Theorem, which also now sends its findings to Security Hub. So this allows you to get even better visibility of what's going on. And if you're a Security Hub fan, you will now be happy that it now supports specifying company and product names for custom integrations. So you can better search, aggregate, and take action on findings from custom integrations. Now, there are 75 official integrations, but you can also ingest findings from custom integrations that you build, and now you can name them much more easily. 
There are also an additional 12 controls for security posture monitoring that has been added as well from the uh, into the foundational security best practices. These are things like configuration of EC2 auto scaling groups, distribution settings, uh, network ACL configurations, lots of good stuff that just should be there for you. And finally, on this topic, AWS Firewall Manager now supports Palo Alto Network's Cloud Next Generation Firewalls, or NGFWs, across all AWS virtual private clouds in your AWS organization. You now have a single firewall management solution to deploy and manage both AWS native firewalls and Palo Alto Network Cloud NGFWs. And our last topic today is storage. AWS Backup has added support for VMware Cloud on AWS Outposts. So now you can do your backups on that particular platform. And it also now allows you to restore virtual disks from protected copies of your VMware virtual machines. Now, this is the flexibility to restore individual virtual disks that are attached to your VMs in addition to allow you to restore the entire VM from its protected copy. And using AWS Backup, you can restore your VMware virtual disk to a VM in another VMware environment or in AWS as an EBS volume. And AWS Backup has also added support for persistent two deployment type of Amazon FSx for Lustre file systems. So again, uh, nice and easy way to create immutable logically air gap backups across AWS regions and accounts. You can have provable compliance and it's set and forget. And speaking of Amazon FSx, it now supports AWS Private Link. So this means you can now privately access the FSx APIs in your VPC without using public IPs and without requiring the traffic to traverse across the internet. And Amazon FSx for NetApp ONTAP now enables you to change the throughput capacity of your file systems with just the click of a button. So you can scale up and down as you need to. You can dynamically adjust your file system throughput capacity for those cyclical workloads or those uh, one-time bursts or migration is a great uh, example of that. And finally, AWS Storage Gateway has updated support for VMware and Microsoft hypervisors. It now has support for VMware ESX 7.0 and Microsoft Hyper-V 2022 and 2019 hypervisors. So you can deploy your gateway virtual machines on the latest version of these hypervisors. And that's it. My goodness, there was a lot today. I hope there was something there for you. There's lots of stuff I'm thinking, mm, should true that, should give that a go. Uh, as ever, we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do it. And until next time, keep on building.